Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. And I want to start today in our conversation with uh, in a little bit of a different spot than we'd normally start. Obviously, we're talking about the Christmas story, but um, I want to show you how this particular story really is instrumental in the season that we're in, in particular the season of, season of Advent and the season of Christmas. And so it's going to pick up and it says, in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Very descriptive. (laughs) When the first time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right hand of the altar of the incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, startled and gripped with fear. But the angel of the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. And he will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. There was so much power in this text um, and it really hinges around the, this simple idea that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were waiting for a child. They were childless. It says they were very old and they were praying and praying and praying and believing God for something that seemingly wasn't going to happen. In fact, when God said it was going to happen, they didn't even believe him. So that's how far gone this situation was. And I don't know if you can relate with that. I don't know if there's anything in your life that you have been waiting for or anticipating, or maybe you, you were, were waiting for it, but it's so far gone and you're so far past that you're not even really waiting anymore because you're just kind of like moved on. And I think that we're going to see that all of us fit into one category or another in this season of waiting. But the truth is, the, the, the Christmas story is saturated in the idea of waiting. Now, I, I hate to wait. Anybody in here just feel like you were born to wait? Just like, you just kill it at that. It's a spiritual gift. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, there are some people that are more patient than others. I don't think anybody loves waiting, but you know, like my wife and I see a hand over there, Amy and some, some others, I'm sure, you know, have the patient gift. Uh, I don't have that. Uh, I, I am very impatient at most things. In fact, you know, one of the things that I can't even stand is I don't even like waiting for a text message. Do you ever, you ever spend like time crafting this like perfect text message? And it's like super important to you and you're s- sending it to a trusted confidant and you're just like, you really need them to be there for you. And so, you know, you're spell checking this thing like almost like an email. By the way, if you have to scroll, it's too long. Anyway, so you're crafting this thing, right? And it's just like, you're, you're in this conversation and you send it and it's got some bite to it, right? Like it's, it's important, right? You send it and you're looking at your phone, you're waiting, you're waiting. And then suddenly the little dots appear, which means not only have they seen it, but they're like contemplating or in the middle of a response. You're perfect. This is like that ended quicker than I thought, right? So right there, right there. And then all of a sudden the bubbles stop. And you're like, and go. Did it get lost in cyber, cyber world? They were writing something. Nothing. 45 minutes goes by. Half a day goes by. And it's like, ah, oh, shoot. And at that moment, you knew that 
they wanted to write something back, but they were so conflicted because they're not on the same page as you. They don't even know how to respond to you. And so nothing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, waiting. Joe, you know what I'm talking about. Something powerful takes place when we begin to understand what is happening while we wait. The title of my message today is Hope in the Waiting. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the message that you have for us this morning. That no matter where we find ourselves in this journey, we can all relate with the reality that God, we're waiting on you. We're waiting on things to develop in our life. We we have expectations and hopes and desires. Some of those seem to be waning. God, some of us aren't even doing very well in the waiting. But Jesus, we're asking you to speak to us today that we might see you more clearly and your hand at work in our life. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, I think it's important to understand that, that though they were waiting, Jesus came in a great season of waiting. And this is where we pick up the Christmas story. See, the Old Testament comes to a close in a small little four-chapter book called Malachi. And if you flip open your book, your Bible, and you find uh, Matthew, which is the beginning of the New Testament, if you just go left one page, you're in Malachi. Because Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and it's just little four little pages. And so it's nice because you can just flip one page from Malachi to Matthew, and boom, the Messiah comes. Everything that we've been waiting for and what Advent ultimately represents, in one flip of a page, Jesus comes. Wouldn't that be nice, right? At whatever point you got a dynamic and you need Jesus to show up and you're just like, wait a minute, boom, <laughs> got it. But unfortunately, that's not how it happened. And even though in our Bible it's just one page, that period represents 400 years of silence. 400 years where God said nothing. There wasn't a prophet that said, thus saith the Lord. There wasn't an angel that came to spoke, speak to anyone. There wasn't a burning bush. There was nothing for 400 years. We were on a roll, God. I don't understand what happened because you were leading us by the pillar of fire. Remember that? By the stream. Remember the, the prophets that you raised up over and over. You were moving and you were speaking in Jeremiah and Isaiah and so many things. Then you were built, rebuilt the wall through Nehemiah. And God, we're moving somewhere. And then, and then David and the, and the temple and Solomon and, and everything is beginning to happen just like you said and we're leading towards something, and then all of a sudden it goes silent. I don't know if you can relate with that, but sometimes I feel like, man, I'm on fire. Jesus is speaking, and I'm feeling good, and it's like, man, we're going somewhere, God. I feel close to you. I feel like I have some purpose in my life. God, I see you doing some things in my life, and then all of a sudden there's seasons that I go through, and there's seasons that you go through where it's like, God, I don't know 
did I, did I miss? Did I take a wrong turn? Because before we were rocking, you and me. But it doesn't feel like that anymore. And sometimes that's a short season and sometimes that's a long season. And the longer the season is, the more you begin to question and the enemy starts to have a heyday with your mind. I don't know, maybe it's me. Maybe I did something. Of course I did something. <laughs> of course I did something. Of course you did something. And so we begin to doubt, don't we? It's been some time now and things are not the same. And so hope begins to wane. And we start having some thoughts. And I wrote them up there on the screen just because, well, I think it's nice to come to grips with these thoughts that we all have. It's time to start being honest with yourself. This is what you tell yourself. Time to start being honest with yourself about that your day has come and gone and what you were waiting for isn't coming. How about this? Yeah, um, there's some promises unfulfilled. There's some things that maybe you, God spoke to you when you were young or some ideas that you had or maybe you were in a worship service and it was just like something that God was like, yes, I'm going to do something. And maybe there was an idea you had in your mind about what you desired in life and those are unfulfilled, but your failures have canceled those out. So it's time for you to get busy living. Maybe it's a job that hasn't panned out for you. Maybe it's finances where it's like, man, there was some, some potential for some financial freedom, but I, I, I just don't see that happening. Maybe it's a lost prodigal that you've been praying for and it just doesn't seem like things are moving in the right direction. You've almost just sort of given up hope on that whole idea. See, the truth is we are all there. We're all there. And we all question, is it me? Is it me? If I would have just, if I just had more faith or if I would have just been more committed or if I would have just taken a left instead of a right, I wouldn't be here. But I am here and so you know what? This one's on me and I'm gonna deal with that. And what that does is it shifts your expectations from God, I'm waiting on you to God, I'm dealing with today. I'm not really waiting anymore. Hope in the waiting. Hope in the waiting. So this was the atmosphere that Emmanuel came to the planet. So what happened? What happened during these 400 years of silence? See, I think it's important to understand and something profound happens when we realize that stuff is happening while we wait. And so I'm just going to highlight one of the many things. Because God, the Bible says in, in Ezekiel that God is the wheel within the wheel, which means he's always moving and doing things that you can't see or comprehend. There's things moving around. And so in those 400 years of silence, um, my Bible doesn't have any extra pages between Malachi and Matthew, but because we have history and because the Bible is true, when we were in Israel, our tour guide always used to say, listen, my job is not to prove the Bible, but I love when, we're, when archaeology and history proves the Bible. And so we find ourselves in a situation where we have history. What was happening during those 400 years between Malachi and Matthew? And I think it's fantastic that we see that as the Old Testament closes and during those 400 years, Persia conquered Babylon. Remember, 
We were in slavery in Babylon. And then out of that, Nehemiah came and built the wall. In the middle of all that, Persia, 400 years of silence, Persia came in and took over Babylon and became a world power. Now, why is that important? Well, because there's a guy named Alexander the Great that rose to power during the Persia era, during the 400 years of silence. Now, if any historian would, would say that Alexander the Great was the greatest military mind to date and conquered the known world, and he only lived to be 33, which is kind of crazy. But one of his last decrees, one of his last pushes after the, the, the world had been conquered, before he died, he had one last thing that he wanted to have happen. He said, you know what? When I speak and when I give a command, I want every area that I conquered to understand and obey because he called himself a God. And so he said, in order to make that happen, we need to have a universal language. And so he said, I want the known world to all speak Greek. Because this is important to me. This is my universe. He didn't know he was going to die at 33. And so he began to implement that. And before he died, the known universe, the known world, was all speaking one language, Greek. Now we understand that to be a relatively small world, but at the time that was the whole world. And they were all speaking Greek. He dies at 33 and Jesus comes on the scene. And now, because of that, you and I have the Bible today. Because the entire New Testament is written in that language that Alexander the Great said, I want everyone to understand this language. Why? Because God's coming. Emmanuel. And when his story is told, I want it to be able to be spread throughout the entire known world. So everybody might know Emmanuel has come. And so when we're, we're, when we're all saying, God, what are you doing? And where are you in these 400 years of silence? You know what? I'm moving and I'm working and I'm preparing the way for what I am doing. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten. All along he was working to set the stage for his son so that the story can be told and the gospel can be spread. So flip the page to Matthew. We go from Malachi. All of that was happening and God was preparing the way. Oh, by the way, the Roman Empire decided we need to make roads and we need to make a decree that you can travel on these roads and, 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 and not be attacked. This was a thing during the Roman Empire. They said, you know what? Civilization is made through roads and traveling peacefully. And so before the Apostle Paul comes on the scene to travel, to take the gospel everywhere, the Roman Empire created a system so that Paul can take the gospel everywhere. This all happened during that 400 years of silence. So we turn the page over to Matthew and here this angel comes. The, now, Again, I set the scene for you, 400 years of silence, so you understand how big it is. That the angel didn't come to Mary, and Mar to, uh, to Mary and Joseph. Not first. The first words from heaven in 400 years was to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who had been waiting on the Lord for an unfulfilled promise. And do you know what Zechariah's name means? God remembers. 
I remember. God decides to break the silence and open up heaven and speak for the first time in 400 years. And he comes and declares, I remember. Not only that, you know what Elizabeth's name means? God's promises. So God comes to a couple whose collective names mean God remembers his promises. Come on. I remember. I remember. So I want to talk about three things that happen while we wait. The first thing is this. God works while we wait. God works while we wait. And we saw what God was doing in those silent 400 years. But in your life and in my life, I don't care if it's a week, a month, a year, or a decade that you're waiting on something. There is not a moment that goes by that God is twiddling his thumbs or that he has forgotten. I love this passage of scripture out of Isaiah chapter 64, verse four. From the days of old, no one has heard, no one no here has perceived, no eye has seen a God besides you who works and acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Unfortunately, it's so easy to kick down a door while we're waiting that God didn't open. Create a scenario that wasn't God, but it's just like, you know what? I just feel like I need to make this happen because I can and God is not. Anybody with me? Anybody ever kicked down a door or went down a pathway that wasn't the Lord, but you just got tired of waiting and you created something? And, and I'm here to tell you that there's, power in the waiting and that God is doing way more than you think. And, I, and I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning because as we come to the tail end of this year, you realize that as we started this year, Heather and I personally were facing the largest Goliaths of our life. And it's ironic because we were going through a book as a life group, all of our life groups of, you know, are tackling our Goliaths. And the Goliaths that we were facing were, one, we were asked literally, literally the very first Sunday in 2022, that morning as I got to the sanctuary, I was faced with a notice saying, you have to be out in six months of our building over there. And now that sounds fine today because, well, of course, the Center for the Arts, of course we're going to go there. Well, you have to understand that at the time, this place was nowhere on the radar and we can't afford it and there's no way God would open up that door and real estate had climbed significantly way more than we could ever afford. And so we couldn't afford the building we were in, much less another building and then another remodel. And so it really was a crisis of faith and I walked that with our leadership team for the next six months and seemingly God was doing nothing. No, I'll tell you, God was doing a lot. He was shutting a lot of doors. Sometimes what God is doing doesn't seem helpful. It's like, God, I see you working. I see you violently shutting doors and I'm about to kick some doors open. 
And simultaneously, Heather had a crisis with her work. They said, you know, you got to pass this math test in order to keep teaching. And it's like the most superior math test so that she can teach like advanced trigonometry or something ridiculous in high school, which she have no, has no intentions of doing. She's a sixth grade science teacher, but her credential mandated that. And so her and I were navigating like we could be out of a building and she could be out of a job by the end of 2022. Both of our careers were in crisis. And both of us were wrestling, wrestling it out. I mean, oh my gosh, how many times as a church council were we thinking about settling for less? Let's go find a tiny little building that we can afford and just make it happen. And we'll just, it just is what it is. That's our plight in the world. This is what we do. We kick down doors and we settle for less. There's, there's never a time when you're kicking down a door of, of saying, no, God, you're going to do way more than this, so let me kick it down. No, we kick down the doors because it's just like, I got to get into something. I got to get some kind of movement. And so we say, no, I'm just going to settle for down here. And this is the problem when we don't learn to wait because God is doing something and he's moving in your life and he is setting you up for far more and better than you could possibly imagine. The problem is that we don't seem, we don't feel worth it, right? We don't see ourselves in that light. And so God has to rewire us and some of the rewiring happens while we wait. So we learn to trust. This is where we learn to trust. But we're not just learning to trust that God is working. We're learning to trust that God is good. And that's a key component in your ability to trust God. I'm not just going to trust that he's working. I'm trusting that he's good. That he's good towards me. Because that way, when he, the work that he's doing is good. It's good for me. And as you know, the, more, the, the, the story ends. God opens up this space. I mean, you guys, we can't afford this. Like, if you're new here, you're sitting in a seat we can't afford. And that's not because financially we're not doing good. It's because small churches don't meet at the Center for the Arts. That's why. They just don't. Like, I, I didn't even ask to be here initially. I asked to be here when I was so low, groveling on the ground. We have a couple of weeks left before we really need to see something happen. And God's shut so many doors. And I called. All the while. God's working. He's working. Far more and far greater than you can imagine. And he's doing that in your life. And it may not turn out the way you think, but it'll always be better. Second thing is this. We find victory while we wait. I love this. This is where we learn to stand. This is where we learn to stand in Victory is so profound what happens when we wait. I love this passage. Psalm chapter 42, verse, 20, verse 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become restless and disquieted within me? Hope in God and wait and wait expectantly for him. For I shall yet praise him. Do you ever talk to yourself? 
You know, it's, it's easy to be discouraged when things are rocking, encouraged. It's, it's easy to, to have a glass half full, feel like you're doing good, stand in victory when, when the pieces are coming together, right? It's like you're, you're feeling your best and life is good and people are respecting you and things are happening. And it's like, I mean, listen, I, I applaud you if you're standing in victory anytime, but that's easy. But what happens when you're facing things and things aren't rocking? What happens when stuff isn't happening the way you thought it would? And it seems like the waiting period is longer than it should be and God is working, but he's closing doors and not opening them. How are you doing in that? Let, let me ask you a frightening question. It'll be up on the screen. How perfect do your circumstances have to be to you, for you to feel encouraged? I'm going to pray and conclude. I love this passage because David says, soul, what? why are you so downcast? Well, clearly it, well, he wasn't downcast because things were rocking. He was downcast because life's a bummer. Saul's throwing spears at me. I'm hiding in a cave. I'm supposed to be a king. And instead I'm a refuge for years and years and years and years. Life's a bummer. Why are you so downcast? That's not who we are. Listen, you are so powerful on the inside and, and the spirit of God that's in you is so powerful and, and, and the God of the universe that's working on your behalf is so powerful. There shouldn't be a day that goes by that you need outside circumstances going your way for you on the inside to hold your head high and go, you know what? Listen, I'm not ignoring the realities. I'm not ignoring the feelings. It's hard. But can I tell you what's going on in my heart? It's a praise to my God because I may not see it today and I may not see it tomorrow, but I know who my God is and he's working for me and he's working for you and he's working for my kids and he's working for my church. And so today I'm picking myself up. I don't need you to pick me up. I don't need you to encourage me. When you do, it's awesome. When you tell me you love me and that you need me and that I'm awesome, I appreciate that. But I don't need you to do that because I, I got the Spirit of God in me. And I know how to encourage myself. I know how to get up every morning. I know how to get up on my knees. And I know how to say, God, I thank you that you're good today. And I thank you that what I have going for me, the best thing I have going for me can't ever change because it's right here. And it's right here. And nothing can take that away. Nothing. So you and me, we don't have bad days. Not on the inside. And so we learned to walk in victory. I wrote this, often the difference is what comes out of our mouth. 
David's like literally declaring out loud, Saul, get, get up. We're not, we're not doing a tood today. We're not feeling sorry for us today. That's not what we're doing. We're praising God. What comes out of your mouth in a season when things are not rocking? Right? What are you talking to your best friend about and, right, and, you, and, and your dog or whoever it is that you talk to, right? Like what's coming out of your mouth and is it things that are like fueling the spirit of God in you or are you fueling the wrong thing and it's just bringing you down? And so again, as a practical note, let's, let's, let's fill the silence with praise, with victory. Man, this is good today. It's really good today. Last thing is this. God is with us while we wait. This is where we learn to be. So we're learning to trust, stand, and be. Listen, I I get it. In a season of waiting, the most profound thing in the world seems like progress. The most important thing seems like it would be progress. I just need to see some progress. And so that's what we wait for. That's what we wait for. I'm waiting to see progress. I'm waiting to see a crack in the door that maybe God's opening it. I'm I'm waiting to see something happen. And that's what is going to make me feel like we're moving forward. And I just just want to pose a question or or, or pose a, a different idea. That, that, that maybe though you feel like that's the most important thing, maybe God doesn't see it that way. Maybe he sees the time of your waiting. Maybe he, he's saying, uh, like I get progress is important to you and we'll get to that, but maybe he's saying the most important thing is something different. And maybe that's why he has you waiting. Because maybe he just wants to spend some time with you. And he knows that if he gives you progress, you're going to move on. And he's like, I actually prepared a table for you. See? But you always walk past. See, I I made this for you. It's got all your favorite stuff on it. Just imagine you're a good shepherd. He spends so much time on this table. He's got the candles and it's just perfect. He's the, the, the tablecloth's even perfect. And there's only two chairs. One for you and one for him. And every day he waits and he hopes that you might sit down at the table with him we're so busy and there's so much going on and there's worry and God, I just need to see some progress. And he's like, I get the progress and, I, and, and I'll get to that. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I can do anything. I can open doors that aren't even doors. I can make a, a wall a door. But can we just spend a few minutes at the table first? Because I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I find it interesting that the very first thing that God did after he created Adam and Eve was the seventh day. 
You know what happened on the seventh day? Nothing. The very first thing that Adam and Eve got to experience. They're created. They got this garden. And then God was like, oh, and by the way, Adam, I I need you to to, to have some responsibility here. I need you to organize and I need you to name the animals. There's so much to do. But wait, not yet. First, we're going to sit at the table together that I made a whole day. And maybe that was a thousand years. I don't know how many years or days that was, but it was just, you know, to God, it's one day and we're going to spend a day doing nothing. And Adam's like, but I want to, I want to get going. You know, like you gave me all this responsibility. Look at all these animals. How long is it going to take me to name them all? And he's like, we'll get to it. But I want you to learn how to be first, a human being. We learn to just be because he wants to spend time with us. So I want to end by reading Isaiah chapter 40. And this is going to kind of be where we land today. Verse 28, it's familiar to you, but in the context of what we're talking about, I think is profound. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? So when you think he's not doing anything, remember this. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young man shall utterly fall. Here it is. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, I, 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 think, it's, I think it's in the waiting that we soar. I don't think it's in the busyness that we soar. I don't think that when you think things are rocking, everything's happening in your life, I don't think you're at your best. I think you're at the best when we're like, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm waiting on you. Not just for your movement, but on you. I'm waiting for you as a person. I'm waiting for you at the table. I'm waiting for you to awaken my heart once again that I might walk with you and be with you and see you moving in my life. And it's in those moments where our spirit is soaring like an eagle. And I just feel like God's calling us. He's inviting us in this season as we move into this year, into this, this amazing holiday, Christmas, that we would soar, that we would learn once again. Jesus, he, he invites us to the waiting. He invites us to moments where we step in and we say, God, may I see you. May I know you in these moments. God, I'm not giving up. My heart is full and expectant for what you're going to do. So God, in this season, I'm not just waiting for you to move in my life. I am waiting for you. Will you bow your heads today? God, I thank you that At any given time in our lives, you're doing more than we can see. And there's many people in the room that have testimonies where they would say, I, I couldn't see any way out. And all of a sudden there was a door that wasn't there and it opened. And you provided a table in the presence of my enemies where I never thought possible. And so Jesus, for each one of us today as we contemplate and 
take note of the dynamics that are going on in our life, in our relationships, in our finances, in our marriage, our kids. Jesus, I think that we could all say we're at the same spot. We need you. We need you to move in our lives. And today I ask that in those places where maybe we've given up, we've been discouraged. Maybe places where we've felt alone or forgotten. Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you'd remind us again this morning. You remember. There's not a single tear that you've missed. Not a single lonely night. Not a single sleepless night. But you walk with us and invite us to an intimacy with you as we see your hand move. And we give you praise for that. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.